Wow, do we have a packed episode six for you guys. So first off, me and Jody are talking about the confirmation hearing sessions for Amy Coney Barrett. That was interesting. And we talk with Alex, a woman in Tennessee who voted for Trump in 2016 and has since flipped 15 people, um, including herself, about how she did that and why. And we also talk with Kalita Nicole Lloyd of Together Louisiana about Amendment 5 on Louisiana ballots um, and how, how bad Amendment 5 is for Louisiana. So stay tuned. We've got a great episode. Civics, y'all. A political conversation for all of us. We were talking a little bit because, like, I was watching the confirmation hearings and, and you watched a little bit of it. Uh, what are your takeaways? Well, I've, I've only watched a very little bit. This confirmation hearing is like most of the other confirmation hearings that I've watched where senators ask questions about how the potential justice will rule on certain issues and the justice, uh, the potential justice says, I can't answer that. And we do that for, you know, five, six days in a row, you know, (laughs) so, um, and then also there's the political ga- uh, grandstanding, you know, trying to make political points about something that really has nothing to do with the nominee. But there there was one part that I remember watching, and I don't know how many times they did this, but um, one senator asked about an opinion that she had given on the Seventh Circuit. And she explained what she meant and you know why she ruled that way and you know all of that well that to me was actually illuminating that was something that i think more senators should do ask her about the stuff that she's actually written on you know to get a sense of how she might rule in the future was it the one about the um gun case that she ruled on where she made like an opinion that was basically like a person's right to a gun like was federally protected but not their right to vote yeah that was the one yep yep that was it yeah yeah where it the the way that the senator interpreted her opinion is that the right to a gun was a greater right than the right to vote and she was distinguishing no that's not exactly what i'm what i was saying you know civic versus um you know, my Civil? memory is terrible. Like a, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think the distinction she made was that voting is a is a civil right, and the right to gun ownership is a civic right. I think was the distinction she was making. It sounds, I mean, to me, like they kind of seem swapped. It seems backwards, but I think that she was defending her opinion on on that basis. That because the right to gun ownership is like in the Constitution for for citizens, it's a civic right versus um a civil right is like a personal a person's personal right to vote oh right yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. that's what she was yeah she was saying it was some, more of a the gun right was more of a communal right and the right to vote was more individual is that I think so. I think that's the distinction she's making. And like, it's weird because like, I mean, I found myself, as you know, because we were texting throughout it, I watched the first two days pretty continuously. I missed like the the opening portions of both days a little bit, but then ended up getting caught up because they would like replay the openings during breaks. 
you know, I was watching on um, PBS NewsHour for the most part. It was weird because it was like, I could tell, like, I was like, this isn't healthy. Like me watching this continuously is not healthy. And it was boring and frustrating, but it was also like somehow gripping and compelling. <laughs> like I couldn't look away. And it was weird because I found myself, because you had kind of prepped me in our conversation about, um, you know, he who must not be named, I'm going to say his name, but when we were talking about Kavanaugh's hearing, you know, you kind of said like, it was pretty standard that this is like the thing that they all do is that they get peppered with questions about this, like hypothetical decisions that they might rule on. And they, they decline to comment on that. And then of course, like in, in this situation, like she was very measured. She at least gave the appearance. And I think this is maybe genuine of her. I won't, I won't speak ill of her entirely, but she does seem like somebody who does put a lot in a lot of thought and consideration into her responses, um, which makes her like a polar opposite of like the Kavanaugh hearings where he was sort of ranting and raving. And it was frustrating on that metric, on his behavior. Like her behavior was very commendable, I would say. Like even though I don't support her her nomination or her confirmation, although I think I'm resigned like most of us that it will probably happen. I, I don't know. I just found myself so torn during it because I was like, if we're taking like her at face value, a lot of what she says is fine. Like, and then if you have to like, kind of look very closely, like there was a lot of conversation on Twitter about how she spoke about her children, including her adopted children, um, and whether or not she was using them as props. And of course, like the conservatives were like, how dare people say that that that's what she's doing. And the thing is, is she, she may be completely blind to it. She definitely did lean on the fact that she's a parent to two children of color as sort of like a, a shield in a couple of moments instead of like really looking deep into that. And she said something along the lines of like her adopted children who were who were black had received no hostility or had experienced no hostility. And I was like, I, I'm a white lady and I'm looking at this and I'm like, how can you know? Like, how can you say that? Like, there's just no way that they could be moving through our society um, as it currently exists. And even in, in their family, like there could be unconscious bias. And it seems like there might be where that they, that that would feel hostile to them. Maybe. I don't, uh, I, missed, I don't know. I missed that part. Um, that would have been, oh, it happened like on the third. Yeah, that would have been interesting to hear. Um, what I did like, uh, and she said this, I don't even know if she said this at the hearings or if this was before the hearings, but she said she likes to think of her children in the position of the plaintiff or yeah, the person who is um, possibly potentially has been victimized, you know, and that, that to me was a, a very humanizing type of statement. It, it, it's a, a statement that says she's actually looking at people and understanding that these cases are you know, they actually involve human beings and the outcomes of, of their lives. But then again, she also said that the role of the Supreme Court and courts in general is not to right all wrongs. So, you know, it's a mixed mix bag. And I, and I, don't, I don't disagree with her. I, I, I agree with her that the role of the judiciary is not to right all wrongs. But I do think that we ha we can't look at these cases solely as you know uh, silhouettes you know of defendant and plaintiff you know like these are actual people with actual lives and you know there's going to be real world impacts i think that's the problem i was having with her like a lot of what she was saying like at face value sounded great but like if she doesn't have 
the ability to see her own unconscious bias or, or acknowledge that she has it, you know, um, and, and try to process it and work through it. Even if she is trying to apply the, you know, like the cases to like, how would I feel if this was my family? Even if she's trying to do that, right? If she genuinely believes that the children that she's raised who are of color have received, like who've experienced no hostility for being black, for being immigrants, because they were, I think they were adopted both from Haiti. If she genuinely believes that, then she's blind to like the experiences of others, you know, even especially the people that are closest to us, right? Like she probably assumes because she has the best of intentions in raising her children, that she can do no wrong, that she has no bias. And that's incredibly dangerous, I think, for, you know, white parents raising um, black children or children who are a different ethnicity than them. You have to be humble enough to realize that there may be things you can't see, you know, without help or, you know, that you're not seeing automatically. Um, And I think that if she is willing to apply the cases to her family, she also has to apply that lens too and basically be like, if I could be blind in in the experiences of my children, there are things that I'm not seeing in the experiences of the defendants coming before me. And I need to like seek those things out. I need to try to understand. I was born in Dallas, Texas, and then moved to Tennessee in middle school and have stayed in Tennessee since, and I am in the travel industry. Um, I am very into politics. Uh, (laughs) The past four years have kind of forced me back into it, full steam. So um, so you said you're very into politics, and it sounds like it's not a new thing for you. How were you interested in politics before the last four years? Honestly, as far back as I can remember, I always had an interest in it, which my parents did not, so I'm not really sure where that came from. I was always involved in student government. Um, I majored in political science and economics in college. I was planning on going to law school and then made a last minute switch senior year and ended up in a totally different field. But um, I still definitely have interest. In, and I guess it's literally what I studied. <laughs> so one of the first questions that I ask everybody is, what do you remember about learning civics in school? You know, like what grade were you in? Was it in high school or you know, how did you learn about civics and politics? My first memory is probably Schoolhouse Rock, which I feel like probably anyone around my age would probably give the same answer. I and can then, attest to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I took government is what we called it at my school in 10th grade, I believe. And I did have a pretty great school as far as like, they were like pretty thorough. But I don't remember that like sparking an extra interest. But I definitely always liked government and history classes. Mm. Maybe that's where your interest came from. Maybe you had like a really good teacher or something. Yeah, I mean, we did have good teachers. That's awesome. And that was in, so you learned in Tennessee or in Texas? In Tennessee. Gotcha. Well, the second question that I ask folks is, is what do you remember about your first election, like the first election you voted in? So I turned 18 in 2005. Mm-hmm. And so it was right after obviously the 2004 election, which being from Texas, I was like a big George W. Bush fan. I'd met him like when I was younger. 
I enjoyed him like as a charismatic figure. Didn't have like a real understanding at that point. But I remember like being really bummed that I couldn't vote in that election. And then um, I started college in fall of 05. And so in 08, I was close to finishing up. And I was just like so focused on school and everything surrounding school. I voted, but I honestly don't remember a ton about it. Mm. I voted for John McCain. And I remember thinking how boring he was. (laughs) And I remember thinking when Sarah Palin came on the scene being like, well, that's cool. It's a woman. I was like, well, at least she has like more personality, which now is like hilarious for me to think back on. I've changed so much, but. You miss boring politicians. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) They're problematic in their own way, but they they might be better. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, there are always things to, to dig deeper on, but yeah. And honestly, I think Obama, I took for granted, like just how everything was like trucking along. Alex, do you, do you consider yourself Republican, conservative, Democrat, liberal? What, what do you consider yourself politically? I have made a very big switch. I definitely identify as a liberal now, but that is something that has changed in the last four years. Mm. Going back to like the reason why um, I reached out to you was because Dr. Nikki Washington um, had a tweet where she she called on white women to fix the problem that they created. And you um, you commented, I don't know if you have or if you can summarize, but it was your response was just really interesting and made me want to talk to you. Yeah. I mean, in 2016, I had a lot going on just like in college and everything. I was really busy with a job. I had just developed a chronic illness. I was like a year and a half married. There was just a lot of big changes going on. So I wasn't like fully tuned in. I wasn't like a full-on Donald Trump supporter, but I did vote for him. I remember like I got there like right before the polls closed. I, like everyone else, didn't expect him to win. So that was shocking for sure really like I think the me too movement was what kind of was the first like thing that kind of started to pry my eyes open a bit I have never been sexually abused or anything like that um fortunately but I just remember like hearing women's stories and like a montage going through my head of all like the kind of sleazy men who have like made comments to me just like so many things like running through my head and I was like so you're telling me like we don't have to put up with that and just like doing a lot of reflection on that and I think that really like opened the door for me to see like if that has been like my experience like imagine what a black person in America has been going through Like, what else have I been blind to a bit? And so I just started trying to educate myself. And I would, like, watch videos on YouTube about, like, systemic racism and white privilege. And my mind was just blown. 
Like, how could I live in this country and think I was empathetic and think I was being an ally, but completely like missing the big picture? I think a lot of us had, yeah, that realization. Would you say that's something that you maybe knew but sort of ignored? Or were those videos and the knowledge that you gained from those videos completely new to you? It felt completely new to me. Like some of those things like white privilege, systemic racism, like I don't ever have a memory of ever really hearing those words, honestly, before four years ago. Like I was always socially liberal, which not like it makes me like, LOL. Like mm-hmm. I hate when people say that. <laughs> um, but I at that time, I believed that like you could vote one way and believe those things and that could be separate. But no, I mean, it was definitely new information for me. And I became really passionate about wanting to share that information. And I was a bit naive because I thought other people, like as soon as they received this new information, they would be like, oh, well, damn, of course. Yeah, like you did. (laughs) And the first video I shared on Facebook, I mean, the comments were absolutely insane. Do you remember what the video was? I'm just curious. I mean, I'm sure we can all imagine that it, what it was about, but. I, it was a white woman because I remember thinking, I feel like this will be, it was a white Christian woman speaking because I thought like this will be like a better entry Messenger. point for some mm-hmm. people. People were furious and I was shocked. So that like was kind of eye-opening obviously and it made me like really want to keep trying and keep talking to people and honestly every day I'm still I still feel like I'm blown away a bit there are so many things I'm like naive about like I think that people I assume that everyone wants to gain like more knowledge and stuff but it it's definitely not that way unfortunately yeah, no, I, I I hear you on that. And I think that that's so incredible that there's a couple of things that you said that I was I was like responding to about what you just said about how there was the sort of negative responses and the surprise that you felt made you dig in and want to do it more, which a lot of people like that response, that defensiveness and anger that you received, it's a defense mechanism. It's a defense of um, unexamined privilege for people to go on the attack so that they don't have to question what they have and, and why they have it or or their privilege. And that usually what that usually does is it usually makes the person who said, hey guys, maybe the world's not fair, kind of fear ostracism and retreat. Um, and if you want to hold your place in sort of like, you know, your place of white privilege in, in sort of white society, you know, you're meant to sort of shut up and, and stop talking about it and stop bringing up uncomfortable things. But you did the opposite. Like you, you dug in and you were like, no, <laughs> I'm going to share more information with you. Yeah. Um, I joke that I'm like the most hated person in my town. Um, wow. <laughs> wow. And I, I'm always like very conscious of like how I frame it. I always like to like point out, like, listen, I didn't realize that I had all of these unconscious bias. And I think like if if everyone's honest, like we all have them and we all have like this quick reaction, like a reflex that we've been like trained. Like if you see 
a police shooting, like that's just like an easy example for me to use. You're like, oh, well, what was the person doing? If you hear about a female being raped, what was she wearing? Like all those terrible things that have been like just beaten into us that we just don't even realize. And I mean, I'm a woman and I still like am learning about all these biases I'm having against women, which is insane, but Mm -hmm. it's the truth. And so I always like to just be open and honest because I, my hope is that other people will be like, well, yeah, that's me too. And I can talk about it. Yeah. You say you joke that you're the most hated person in your town. So like, is this like a hobby or is this like a new like side (laughs) business for you? Like, are are you a social justice warrior? Like, what do you, how do you, how do you see yourself? I guess it was probably about three and a half years ago when I started getting sick, I started working for myself from home. I started my travel business. Mm -hmm. And so like, I definitely had more time on my hands. (laughs) I (laughs) had been like running full steam. I feel like since I graduated high school and obviously with like everything going on, like I was getting kind of pulled back into all of this. And when I would be on Facebook and really the only reason I would go on Facebook was to work on my business page, but I just kept coming across all these articles being shared, all these memes that were so insane. My dad shared one with a photo of Kurt Cobain and a quote that clearly wasn't actually Kurt Cobain. It said like, something about him like predicting that Donald Trump would be president obviously (laughs) (laughs) I was drinking some tea and I almost spit it out and I mean these things were being shared like so many times and so it kind of started like me just going into the comments and saying hey that is actually not true and if like it was a situation where you could like link to an article or something that showed like the real scenario, like I would do that. That was another situation where I was naive because I thought, oh, well, as soon as they see that this is fake, they'll delete it. (laughs) And I still do it because I've learned too that there are a lot of lurkers Mm -hmm. that are looking at posts. They're not necessarily interacting with them, but I want someone to see, okay, that's not actually the truth. And so I kind of noticed, like, and I don't know if this is, like, Southern culture, because, you know, like, we don't like to talk about controversial things. (laughs) We don't Um, like women to talk about controversial things. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so I was like, you know, like, maybe this is where I need to, like, focus a little energy. Like, it seemed like the perfect, like, demographic, like, people a little older than me and beyond, like, And so I just started like kind of sharing some articles or like a quick thought here and there. I tried to keep it um, not like apolitical, but I steer clear of like any like super divisive language as far as like Donald Trump is concerned, Um, or at least at first, like because I didn't want people to write me off immediately. And I joke that the purpose of me voting for Donald Trump was so now I can say, well, I actually voted for him and I think it does like give them like a little more of a pause and makes them like feel like a little less defensive. 
but yeah. And so then like, obviously I'm having those conversations in real life, but, um, yeah, I did kind of become obsessed with trying to get the truth out there. Then a lot of women started messaging me on Facebook saying like, Hey, I saw the article, like, thank you for saying that. Or, Hey, that made me think, or I hadn't thought about it that way. And it was a little crazy to me because I was like, these women don't even feel like they can comment on my Facebook wall. Like they're so scared of like people thinking they're a liberal that they have to privately message me. I mean, there's been at least 50 people at least. So like that is a whole other topic probably entirely, but like it is really interesting. Like people go to great lengths (laughs) to preserve like their conservative image, I I guess. When, and when you say this, it sounds like, I mean, I'm making an assumption here. So correct me if I'm, if my assumption is wrong, or at least in your experience wrong. It sounds like when you say these people are messaging you, it's mostly white women. Yes. So, and you, you said in the tweet, your response, I flipped 15 people so far and I'm working on more. And I'm (laughs) really curious about what that meant. Like, especially since 15 is such a specific number. It's not like a dozen, you know? (laughs) Well, so I laughed like after that because I, one day, it was probably like six months ago, somebody said something. I was like, I wonder how many people like I know have like flipped. And so I wrote them down. So that's literally like why I have that number fresh. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Those are um, good friends, family members. Those are people that I, my posts on Facebook have been kind of like an entryway. And then obviously like in real life, we have deeper conversations. Yeah. Like my mom, she's so clearly liberal. It's funny that she ever thought she was a conservative. (laughs) And she even took a test probably six months ago where like by finding out if you're a Democrat or Republican, it said a hundred percent Democrat. And she was so (laughs) shocked. And we were like, dumb mom. Yeah. And honestly, like for me, I'm like, clearly I, I was going to find my way to the liberal side I think there are a lot of people like me, especially in the South, who you're Republican because that's what everyone else is. And you know the other Republicans, like they, they're not bad people. They're your friends and family. But seeing in the last four years, like people kind of show showing a darker side of themselves, especially on Facebook, where they feel comfortable doing it, um, was very shocking and very eye-opening like family members. I mean, I would, I was like, oh, so I have family members that are legitimately very racist and we're going to have to deal with this. Like, luckily my siblings are, um, they're both younger than me. They live in Nashville, but we've kind of like teamed up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This is like the superhero sibling group that I can get behind. (laughs) So what, like, what would you say are some of the techniques that you use in order to convert? So I, I never use personal attacks like against the person. I have kind of let up on this lately, but like I try to not use like any like kind of petty attacks about like any Republican politicians. Um, I try and just like stick to like whatever issue that we're talking about and just focus on like, here are actual facts 
for you to to see. I'll kind of say like, I used to agree with you on this issue and here's what made me see it in a different perspective. I think it takes time. Um, and a lot of times like people won't immediately come out and say something like obviously the people that I listen in those 15, like they're all close enough to me that we're like that now they're like, Oh my God, what was I thinking? I think it is. I've really focused too on people who are really actually liberals at heart, but they're confused and they've been voting for conservatives. That's brilliant. Yeah. And like not being petty, not attacking the other side, because it does feel like, especially since we've come, our two party system has sort of encouraged us to sort of vote like we're supporting sports teams, you know, or, or you know, yes. with rival <laughs> factions, like we're the Hatfields and the McCoys and, um, and there's bad blood. And so then if you attack somebody on their side in a way that doesn't seem fair, it like gets their hackles up. And I've definitely participated in that just in anger and frustration, even on the show. Um, so I've got to be careful about that, but I can see that that would be a lot more effective to get, to sort of like get people to sort of like come to the table, share information. And then what you said earlier about like the fact that you have voted for Trump, I think it does really give you a card to sort of play or some cred with the people you're talking to, because it's like, you're not talking about them, the, that basket full of deplorables who did this. You're talking about yourself as well. Right. I don't want to ask you questions about your husband since he's not here, but I started to, I wanted to uh, for a second. Oh, but... feel free. He, he would not care. <laughs> um, so did you guys have a divided household before 2016 or like, was he more liberal than you before that? Or like, or is he also, is he one of the people you've converted? Um, he was pretty much down the middle. He did not vote for Donald Trump. He voted third party, mm-hmm. which we've since watched the Hillary documentary. And we were both like, oh, damn, we like took the bait on all of this. Like we believed all of this like sexist propaganda. He's from Detroit. So um, he's not from the South. And he is an executive chef. And so he... So he definitely has like a different perspective. He, um, I think he's been radicalized by me a little bit and he, he's definitely like for like fair and fairness and like justice. And he, like, I was out of town when some of the rallies were, um, going on here and like, he made sure to be at all of them. Like, even if I wasn't here and he's, he's a very supportive partner. He's, he's good. I want a husband who goes to rallies for me. (laughs) I want a husband who's a chef. I know, me yeah. too, actually. <laughs> Thank you so much, Alex. Thanks, Alex. It was a great conversation. Thank you guys for having me on and letting me vent. <laughs> I definitely want to give you as big of a platform as we can possibly manage to flip more people. <laughs> <laughs> We had to cut it out, but I outed Jadi as an introvert, and I kind of had to trick him to get him to come to the interview with Alex, but I think he's glad that he did because, as I suspected, um, it was a really, really great conversation. I'm glad we were all together for that. It was just me and Kalita speaking um, a little bit more recently, so I'm looking forward to seeing what Jadi thinks about this conversation as well as the rest of you. how are you? I am doing well. Thank you, Emily. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so you're super busy right now, and I'm really grateful that you're sitting and joining us for a second and talking to us about civics. 
yes, I'm thrilled to be with you. Um, it's a, if you didn't know, there's an election going on. <laughs> and, um, and so it's definitely a busy time, but I'm thankful to be here for sure. So I'd like to let everyone introduce themselves. And if you want to say something um, just sort of about your background and also Together Louisiana, because Together Louisiana is sort of what has brought us together today. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm an attorney, um, started a nonprofit called Mission Reconcile. Um, that is faith-based, it's a faith-based racial reconciliation nonprofit uh, created to bring together predominantly single race culture churches to talk about race, racism, and create organic relationships. Wow. And so we just celebrated our third birthday last Friday in oh, terms of our formation. Birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and so that has been really just fulfilling work um, when it comes to faith and what it means to um, have faith in action and to do justice. Um, and then I work for Together Louisiana um, as, I would say, a project organizer, director of the Precinct Organizing Project. and other hats amongst the things that Together Louisiana does. And I was originally attracted to Together Louisiana through Together New Orleans. And Together New Orleans is an umbrella entity under Together Louisiana, but brings together different interfaith congregations and civic organizations to work on community issues. Um, And so I have been thrilled to be a part of Together New Orleans through my church, First Grace United Methodist Church. And so it's just been um, very powerful and a way to impact um, New Orleans and the state of Louisiana. What do you remember about learning civics in school? And did you learn in school? How old were you? What grade were you in? Yeah, I love this question because my mom sat me down about, about third grade. and I wanted to be a teacher like her. And um, she sat me down probably about third grade and said, you know, teacher is good, um, but what about being a lawyer? And I was like, (laughs) lawyer? I don't want to be a lawyer. What if I don't win their case and they come and get me? And so I had this context of like only criminal law and even like that's not accurate. Um, But but she was like, no, there's different types of law that you can practice. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, that sounds good. Um, And ever since that moment, I was very geared towards being a lawyer and the law and policies and things of that nature. Um, And then when I was in middle school, actually, um, I had civics. Did you go to school in Louisiana? No. So I went to school in Florida. I grew up in Miami, Florida. And so I remember my my civics class being in middle school. I'm not recalling whether it was seventh grade or eighth grade, um, but I remember coming home and telling my mom, this is like the most important class of my life. And my teacher sucked. (laughs) You know, she would let us just do things. All she did was she didn't teach. She just had us do assignments out of the book. The class was, you know, for lack of a better word, out of control. She liked her outside life. She was like a radio TV talk show host. She was doing all this other stuff. That teaching was not her main deal. (laughs) And so, yeah, I remember going home to my mom and being like, this is like the most important class and I'm not getting the education that I need from it. And so my mom was very positive of like, it'll be okay and all these different things. Um, But yeah, my civic class experience was not good. Well, so like your mom, like when she sat you down in third grade, like, was there something 
about like your sort of like personality as a kid or your interests as a kid that sort of like made her think this kid needs to be a lawyer or like what I mean what did you guys do like how did you foster your love for civics and, and the law I think for my mom um, and I, I do think mothers are powerful in this way they're able to see qualities in their children um, I think I need to ask her that direct question though like you know what <laughs> what made her sit down and say to redirect me in that way um, I can knowing my mom I know she did see whatever she saw in me right because I do really love being a lawyer and I love having the skill set. And, and I would not have been the greatest teacher for sure. Um, <laughs> and, and public school teacher anyways, like she was. So I think my mom did see something in me. I, I would be misquoting if I said what it was. Um, I, but I will ask her that question after this time <laughs> with you. Um, and I think after that, though, I went to a high school that was a magnet high school. And it was a magnet high school based on career fields. Miami's mega magnet. Um, I always put this in Michelle and Barack um, Obama, President Obama, um, visited my high school. It was while he was president. It wasn't while I was there in high school. Um, But my school was based on academies of different career fields. And the academy that I got admitted to was legal and public affairs. And so for four years of high school, I got exposure to the law. I got exposure to working in legal services, law offices, got experiences in doing competitions that that engage the Constitution and, and thinking about the Constitution. Um, and so that's where I got kind of my redemption <laughs> of, of civics is being able to go to that magnet school and be exposed to um, so much like my, my professor for the academy was a, a lawyer who turned teacher. Yeah, so the exposure of that was um, invaluable. And it, it really is what confirmed that I was going to be pursuing going to law school and becoming a lawyer ultimately. That sounds like a very exciting educational experience. Yeah, I want to create it here in Louisiana. Mark yes. my words today. <laughs> We need it. We, well, we do need it. And like um, the second question that I ask everybody is, what do you remember about the first time that you voted? And it could be like in any election. Yeah. So I was reflecting on this and my first election uh, was in college and it was the election with John Kerry and Bush and it went all the way to the Supreme Court. Right. Oh, yeah. So that was that whole floor. And I voted in Florida because I went to college in Florida. I went to Florida State University and I remember casting my vote and feeling very confident about that and very excited about that and being on a college campus that encouraged it, right? Like it was, you know, part of what you do and being engaged and and, and doing that. Um, I think I even had volunteered to be a poll watcher. (laughs) Like I was like volunteering for all the things. And I had cast my vote and to just learn that it went all the way to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court really ended up deciding who our president was that year. And I remember thinking, wow, every vote, one, does matter. Um, And two, I'm glad I voted because my my voice was part of that. Um, But three, also that, wow, you know, the way our system works with just the different branches of government there's really a checks and balances, but there's really a 
how do I want this to go? So, you know, there, there's just, there's definitely a lot of power in each of these, these sectors that we just have to be mindful of. And as I'm saying this, I'm just thinking about the replacement of RBG and like kind of what that meant and means and all that. But yeah, it was, it was a good experience. Um, haven't missed an election since. Um, definitely not a presidential election. Um, and yeah, I'm a chronic voter. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, I'm, it's interesting that you mentioned it because I was um, watching like here and there, like in between like doing laundry and other stuff. I was watching the confirmation hearing and I wasn't necessarily going to bring it up, but I was, I am sort of intrigued because um, from like a legal perspective and then especially as a person of faith, I'm, I'm curious as to what your thoughts maybe are about the timing of this confirmation hearing and also like Amy Coney Barrett, who is from uh, Louisiana, is a person of faith. And that's come up a lot in this conversation. And um, there's been a lot of like heated conversation about sort of some of her opinions that she's written as a judge and the things that she may be deciding. Do you have any thoughts about any of that as, as a lawyer and a person of faith? Yeah. Um, I mean, I haven't looked at who, what her track record is. Um, I just think it, just on a political stance, when you have a traditionally Republican president appointing someone, um, it's going to be much more of a conservative view. And um, that is, you know, not what is good for my brothers and sisters. <laughs> um, but, you know, when it's all said and done, people can do whatever they want to do on the bench, you know. And so what what my prayer would be if in fact she is confirmed that she would she would really uh, abide by her faith if that's something that motivates her but not in a way that has faith has been traditionally used to marginalize part of the work that I do with Mission Reconcile is there's a reckoning that Christianity particularly the Christian faith congregations has it's enabled you know, the things of racism and and slavery and was very part of that. And so what does it mean to reckon with that history to actually make it right, right? And really receive this thing called reconciliation on a spiritual lens and then conciliation. Well, I guess that brings us together, Louisiana. And um, would you tell me a little bit about sort of like how Together Louisiana started and how you got involved? I was first introduced to the togethers, if you will, because there's a together Baton Rouge and together the Delta Interfaith. And yeah. Um, And so I first got introduced to together New Orleans and um, was doing some organizing work through my church, First Grace United Methodist Church um, in Mid-City. And um, we would do just kind of a different initiatives, have meetings talk about community issues in order to organize and build power within institutions. And so it's one thing to be able to do something as an individual. It's another thing to do something as an institution and building kind of that power um, within that, that body. And so what does it look like for religious institutions and faith institutions and civic organizations to come together in unity under one type of issue and focus on that and win, <laughs> right? And and win for the people. And so what we did, particularly in the fall of last year for the governor's race, was we saw that there was a low voter turnout in the primary. 
um, particularly around, among um, African-American voters and voters of color and um, those who were in lower income precincts. And so for me and what I came to understand is that when a voice, like a group of voices of people are missing from our democracy, we do not have a democracy. We have something else. And so what that Bridge the Gap campaign did amongst with other organizations who were doing Get, get Out the Vote and increasing voter turnout uh, was brought together people from these different faith and civic organizations and even your run-of-the-mill run of everyday people who are not connected, quote-unquote, to any type of institution brought them out in unity to galvanize around a thing and galvanize around, you know, increasing voter turnout amongst people um, so that there can be people's voices heard in our democracy and particularly the one that was affecting the state of Louisiana in the governor's race. Um, and so I just saw the results of that and helping to coordinate that was just a beautiful thing to see as people were coming together in unity for this one effort. And so um, what we did was we fast forward and we said, okay, well, what? We just did that. What if we did that with a long-term impact? <laughs> what if we did that and people were building relationships with one another? What if we did that and we could see the increase in voter turnout election after election after election? And so we thought of the precinct organizing project which is an opportunity for simply what I say is neighbors organizing neighbors um, in order to help increase voter turnout. And so what, what we do is we're recruiting block captains and um, engaging in that work. But Together Louisiana has been just a really great entity to help galvanize around community issues. And we recognize very quickly that voting and building power through our vote is vitally important to advancing those community issues. Mm, yeah, I'm a block captain, and um, I really, I love that mission of like, like let's if we're going to organize, like let's not let that organize that organized effort disperse. Um, and I, I ended up calling um, during one of the training sessions one of my neighbors, and I could you could hear it in her voice at first. She just assumed I was a telemarketer, and she wasn't like <laughs> all that engaged. But then when I said hi, I'm your neighbor, and I'm your neighbor Emily, and I just want to talk to you about like, are you registered to vote, and will you commit to registering to vote? And she actually was registered to vote, but I was able to like look up her her registration on GoVote and just confirm that she was still voting at the same place. It was just fantastic. Like we, you know, we warmed up to each other very easily and we were like, oh yeah, we're neighbors. And and mm -hmm. the difference in her voice was just immediate. Like once she knew I'm her neighbor, <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. And I'm so glad that that was your experience. And that's a lot of the experiences that we're having with Black Captains um, is just this opportunity to connect with neighbors and being comfortable with that. Um, and what that looks like. And so we are, we're hoping that that is going to be an opportunity to build long-term relationships. So it's not just, you know, this upcoming election, November 3rd, although that is the goal to make sure that they get to the polls for November 3rd and definitely capitalize on early voting for sure. Um, we're encouraging people to early vote if you um, are feeling comfortable and willing um, to go in person to vote, um, but just making sure that your vote is cast nonetheless, whether it's mail-in or, or absentee, but being able to build those relationships um, that, you know, outside of an election, you can call somebody up and say, hey, did you know that they are building whatever on the corner of our street? Like, we should do something about that. 
And then they're like, yeah, we should do something about that. Um, and so just just the the fruit that can come out of this one thing that is rooted in helping our neighbors to get out to vote, um, I think is going to is going to bear a lot is what my prayer is. and My hope is to. Well, and, um, you know, I saw that Together Louisiana is um, is a participant in the education campaign about Amendment 5. And I've sort of seen people go like, oh, my God, you know, when I tell them about it. Part of what's going to be on the ballot this upcoming November 3rd election is going to be a series of amendments. And Together Louisiana has taken a stance on one of the amendments, Amendment 5 in particular. And um, the reason for that is because... Um, Part of our community advocacy and the issues that we have galvanized around together Louisiana is this industrial tax exemption. And what it is, is a tax exemption um, for corporations and industries to capitalize on. Uh, They have to apply for it, that sort of thing. And um, this is nothing new. Other states, you know, do this this tax exemption for corporations. The thing about Louisiana, though, is we take it to the extreme. <laughs> um, and so we have a video online um, called, called Why Louisiana Stays Poor on YouTube that I would highly encourage people uh, to watch to just get an idea of what this would do or what, what has been happening um, in order to kind of get an understanding of why um, Amendment 5 is so important to defeat. Um, when it comes to November 3rd. What we are seeing, though, is that the opportunity for local governments to decide whether corporations will get the tax break, we're seeing the power in that. And so one of of the big wins, which is a lot, because um, in St. John the Baptist Parish, they were able to say no to a corporate tax break and use that money that they then had to pay, the corporation had to pay on their property taxes to increase teachers' pay. And so that is the power that we have as a local government to say, well, no, we don't want you to have that tax break because we can use this money here. And this amendment, Amendment 5, will take that ability away. It will take the ability for us to have these wins for our community and put it in the hands of Um, a little bit of a few to make that decision for us as the whole. And um, the history has shown that they haven't made the decision very well. (laughs) Um, And so why would we want to continue to to give them the opportunity to make that decision? And so I would just encourage, um, Together Louisiana is doing um, Education Friday, Thursdays rather. Um, So every Thursday until the election, we're going to have a civic um, education in on Amendment 5 so that people can learn what it is, what it will do um, so that we can defeat it on November 3rd and allow people to spread the word about it. So I love the fact that you were telling people about it and explaining. Um, <laughs> we are thankful for that. And that is a, the way to be for a block captain. So go you. <laughs> I have like one question that like one of my podcast partners started asking and I, I kind of stole it from her because I love it. So when I'm when I'm doing interviews, I, I often ask this question as well. Um, what do you think it takes to be a good citizen? Ooh, that's a good question. Isn't it? Mm. Well, in the spirit of where we are right now, I definitely think a good citizen has to vote. And the reason for that is it's where our power lives. And it's like the minimum thing that everybody can do who has access to the ballot box. And so we have to utilize that access very well. What I'll also say, though, 
um, you have a responsibility, and, and I say this particularly for people of faith as well, to vote for the collective. And so some people may feel like, you know, that issue doesn't affect me. But the question is, is that the decision and how you're going to vote and who you're going to vote for good for the collective? And when I talk with people of faith, uh, is it good for your brother and for your sister? Right. And so we have to do things much more as a unit and in unity to to be a good citizen. So I, so I would just say that a good citizen definitely is responsible for their actions and how they contribute to the world um, and to their community, but is also very mindful of how that their actions affect their community as well. That was a beautiful answer. <laughs> well, I was going to say, because what you first go to is like, mm, am I good? <laughs> and so you're like, wait, wait, let me make sure that I'm setting the right barometer. <laughs> So it's a good question, though. I will be yeah. keep that as a mindset for sure. Well, this is this has been a really awesome conversation. I think that I would love to have you back um, in you know in a couple of months and, and ask you what your mom said and, and talk about some other things. <laughs> awesome! I sure will. Have a great day. You too. Thank you, Emily. Why has no one brought up the fact that she was she's only been a federal judge for three years? Like as as mm-hmm. something to say, well, she's not qualified, you know, she's not qualified for this I position because she doesn't have the experience. I think that did come up, but I can't remember who said it. And you're right. That's a very, very good point. Um, and this is probably the, the Republican strategies. I think that the Democrats had to be very careful and sort of like the critical attacks that they ha- they, they had on her. Um, and I think that they were probably concerned about looking anti-woman if they criticized her for not being experienced enough. Um, and I think that that was part of the strategy of the Republicans in nominating a woman. And they did that a couple of times. They're just kind of like, um, they're coming after your faith. They're coming after your family, you know, blah, 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 blah. But it, and that's where I go back to them being hypocritical because they talked about the fact that she was the mother to seven children, like ad nauseum and like on the one hand yeah it is incredible for any woman to like be able to balance a career and that many children and that kind of family but at the same time like you know we didn't talk that much about Kavanaugh's like wife and children the only time I think that his his family came up was when he was using the women in his life as a shield for saying he couldn't be you know a predator or harasser because he had women in his life that he cared about you know and so like the thing I keep coming back to is the thing that the Democrats did bring up a lot is the two cases that are likely to come before her very soon after she gets on the, on the Supreme court are the reason why people are most concerned about her being there is she may be helping the Supreme court decide the presidential election like they did in 2000 and also the Roe v. Wade sort of like attacks that we're all expecting because there's cases winding their way through um, the lower courts towards the Supreme court as we speak. Well, this was a, a great yeah. segment. Me saying, I don't know, I didn't watch, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, you brought some good perspective to it, <laughs> as you always do, because you, you know, you've been paying attention longer than I have. All right. Well, you, you brought all the firepower this time. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, thanks for listening, as always. And if you'd like to help us keep the lights on, 
Our Patreon link is in the show notes.